Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our bi-monthly installment of Reckless A Talk, our interview series where I, DM Nathan, sit down with a creator or personality in the tabletop role-playing game community to talk background, history, perspective, and so much more. This week is an incredible treat both for me and for you all as I got to sit down with Cassie Mothwin, a TTRPG supplement author extraordinaire. Cassie was an early connection that we made on Twitter when her now legendary product, What Crooked Roots, was a far-off work in progress, and she has become one of my and our podcast's closest friends. Uh, You may recognize her. She gave us our first bit of fan art uh, however many weeks and months ago, and we have somehow only fallen deeper into friendly platonic love with her ever since. Then, on top of all that, She went and released What Crooked Roots, her mind-blowingly good folk horror encounter and history supplement for D&D and other RPG games, and decided to add the title of one of our favorite creators to her list of honorifics. Cassie and I sat down to talk folk horror, inspiration, research, and turning the switch from hobbyist to public creator. She was, of course, an absolute shining star. But I'll let you listen for yourself. Here it is, Reckless to Talk with creator and gem of a person, Cassie Mothwin. And seriously, guys, go buy Crooked Roots. It's incredibly organized, it's sensitive, it's evocative, and it is the perfect thing to buy to add a dash of mystery and terror to your setting. That is an order from the Dungeon Master. Hi, Cassie. Hi, Nathan. <laughs> uh, how, how are you, Cassie? I, and I'm, I'm doing great. I you know, haven't had any technical difficulties, so mm-hmm. everything's fine with me. But how about yourself? Uh, yes, I appreciate the tone and tenor you took for for at least the first half of your response, pretending as if this was a new fresh start to <laughs> not just a conversation that we'd been having pre-recording of just catching up and saying hi, all that kind of stuff, but also as if we haven't already recorded this intro and then had to stop because all of my technology failed. So I appreciate your professionalism in this moment, Cassie. You know, you know, success is through failure. So it's important we we note it. (laughs) And thank you for your partnership on this journey of failure, Cassie. You're welcome, you're welcome. Uh, The SS Nathan. Uh, But that's not, we're not here to talk about technical difficulties, Cassie. (laughs) We're here to talk about your own excellent, wonderful self. You paused after your own like that, like, we were going to talk about my failures. I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which we can. <laughs> well, you know, we'll see what direction the interview turns, I guess. Yeah. That's not really the vibe I was going for. But, you know, like, I want this to be New a conversation. Format. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> you know, we're, we're all we're both taking turns, taking the lead here, taking the reins. So if you feel like that's the direction you need to go, man, we're here for it. Failure is an important part of art. But at least for now. Right. What we'll stick to. Yeah. Is telling our incredible listeners Hey, who are you, Cassie? Introduce yourself. Uh, hello, beautiful listener. I am <laughs> I am Cassie Mothwin. I have written and mostly illustrated by myself with the help of my wonderful partner and husband, Joshua Peters, What Crooked Roots, which is a folk horror Dungeons and Dragons supplement that I have been told works very well in other systems. So you know, <laughs> even if you're not a Dungeons and Dragons fan, perhaps check it out on my Kofi 
drive through RPG and or itch. All three, if you're feeling really generous, you know. And indeed, <laughs> I think I've downloaded on at least two of them. Yes, I, should, I, <laughs> I should do the full full circle back to, to make sure that I have. I've seen on you on itch them. and Kofi, so yes, <laughs> you're getting your punch card for sure. Yeah, exactly. Good. <laughs> oh, and also, you use she/her pronouns, correct? Yes, I do. Thank you. Excellent. So, Cassie, we are here today not just to talk about your phenomenal supplement to all tabletop role-playing games and really just kind of wonderful piece of fiction that you've created around what Crooked Roots, but about you, about your path as a creator, the priorities you have, the approach that you take, and just kind of learn a little bit more about who you are and what your whole vibe is about, uh, which thus far has been an exclusively wonderful vibe. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I am, uh, I'm curious, and I start a lot of my interviews this way, especially with this being Reckless to Talk, a nominal D&D TTRPG discussion podcast. So what was your first exposure to Dungeons and Dragons and or tabletop role-playing games, or maybe even just kind of the fantasy genre to begin with? How did you dip your toe in to become the creator that you are now? So I have... I'm a high school play kid. I think a lot (laughs) of uh, Dungeons and Dragons folks probably are. Uh, So I've always been interested in role playing or, you know, pretending to be someone else. So that that is not out of like my wheelhouse at all. And I've heard rumblings of Dungeons and Dragons for a while, but no one had pitched it to me as like, oh, you get to be in a play without an audience. Mm. (laughs) Um, You don't have a script. You just get to, to be in a play. And I was like, Never told that. I just was handed a 3.5 character sheet at one time and it was extremely <laughs> overwhelming. So I was like, this is not for me. Thank you. Bye. And this, and I was handed a book without a lot of pictures. One of the three point, I think it was a 3.0 or 3.5 book. I was like, how do you play this? This isn't a game. This is a novel. I don't understand. <laughs> so that was my first uh, experience with Dungeons and Dragons was a lot of text boxes and an overwhelming character sheet. Um, then I started to try to make board games, role-playing games without realizing it. I'm very interested in the Call of Cthulhu myth- mythology. I think yeah. I feel like everybody is because it's in the public domain, so it's so easy to like yeah, pick yeah. it up and shape it into whatever you want. Um, so I was playing a lot of Eldritch Horror for a while, which is like this massive board game that's oh, four, yeah, yeah. Yeah, four to five hours long. And I always would tell the people I'm playing with, hey, you're getting a character card, but like become that character. It'll be fun. Like be Hank the farmer. <laughs> like do it. That's It'll be fun. Awesome. And this was before I understood the concept of role-playing games. So then uh, my brother was like talking about how he wanted to get into Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, why? That's so weird. It's <laughs> awful. So I'm not a very supportive person, I guess. <laughs> um, but, not, in that, but, not in that moment, at least. Yeah, but uh, we have a local board game um, restaurant here where you go in and you... Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you pay. You can pay like a fee to like go in and pay play board games while you eat. And like however much food you order takes off like a dollar off your like entry fee or whatever. Anyway, they were holding a uh, Dungeons and Dragons like introductory session, like come to this, uh, we'll teach you how to play and we'll run like a little one shot for you. And I think it was free. And I was like, hey, bro. um, Oh, also, I refer to my brother as bro, non-ironically, because his name is also Josh and my husband's name is Josh. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That seems like a good, I mean, we, uh, our own brothers on the podcast, David and Jonathan do that. And Sophie has also adopted it. Uh, but yours is definitely <laughs> a lot more, uh, there's utility to it as opposed to colloquialism. But anyway, so I was like, Hey well, no. bro, there's this Dungeons and Dragons thing. You should go. And he went and he's still in that group. That was in really uh, 
that was in 2018. He's taken over. The GM of it ended up moving, but they, he phones in now for sessions. Um, so they, they're still going. Uh, wow. And he came down that Christmas. This was after my wedding. Uh, I got married that year. And so I had new, I had room for hobbies suddenly. I wasn't <laughs> planning a wedding anymore. And that was when I made my first bard, of course, because uh, <laughs> I like to perform. And that's the rest is history. So I owe everything to Josh's, basically. <laughs> <laughs> to the dual Josh's yeah, in your life. Yeah, the dual Josh's. <laughs> so was there a... So you, you mentioned that you were just kind of unceremoniously handed a character sheet in your first exposure. And it's like, here's all these rules. Blank. Here's yeah. Oh, it was like, blank, build, too. Yeah, it was blank. Build, build your character. Did you end up playing it, playing no. that? You just, it was just like, nope, not for me. Yeah. Well, I was in, uh, I was an undergrad at the time and I'm an English major or mm -hmm. I was, uh, I have the degree now. Um, <laughs> so I was already doing a lot of reading in my spare time. Yeah, um, so I was like, I don't want to do more reading. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't want to do this. It's interesting that you say that because rule books are not inherently, especially some older ones made to be interesting reads. They're right. frequently there just to get the information across and like there's cool stuff in it, but it's not woven in cool. Like it's not necessarily accessibly or fictionalized or anything, you know, written in that way. Whereas your supplement definitely is, but we'll get to that Thanks. later. <laughs> so do you remember on that second go around other than your Josh bros <laughs> instead of Josh husbands kind of just general interest in it? Do you remember how it was, was it pitched to you in any way to, to kind of get you back on board or were you just kind of swept up into their own enthusiasm and you're like, okay, cool. I'll go again just because you want to go. So uh, the tired answer of critical role emerges. <laughs> it is a, Hey, inf it is influential for a reason. Like people were influenced by it and that's great and wonderful. So I think part of my, issue with Dungeons and Dragons was I didn't know how it worked. Mm, and mm -hmm. yeah. my brother said, well, why don't you check out Critical Role? It's a bunch of voice actors playing. It's a really well done production. They just started season two um, and you can see how it works. And so I love to fall asleep to podcasts. So I turned it on to fall asleep to and I couldn't fall asleep because <laughs> it was so interesting. <laughs> So then I started watching it casually. I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't say like I'm an avid fan or anything. Like I don't have any stuff and I'm total behind on all, on all of the things critical world, but it was influential in terms of like yeah. seeing how to play Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like their way is the best way or anything, but it really helped me formulate an understanding of what it would, mm -hmm. what was expected, how it can function and how it can work. So after I think I maybe listened to two or three episodes and they're four hours each. So yeah. I mean, that's still a lot of content. <laughs> I was like, I need this. I need to get in on this. <laughs> this looks fun. Uh, so that Christmas, this is literally like, I think he had his Dungeons and Dragons thing like maybe August. So that Christmas of that year, his gift to me was then running like a really small Minds of Handelver, like one oh, yeah. shot. So did the critical role introduction and, and subsequent hunger, did that come before your game shop experience? What do you mean by my game shop experience? Oh, so when he was, when, when your brother was like, Hey, I want to try this out. And did you go to the game or was your first experience when he had already gone and he had played already gone, yeah. and then 
brought the wealth yes. of knowledge. He wouldn't stop talking home. about it, right? <laughs> it's kind of like you and Reckless Attack, the podcast. Like after so long, someone's really excited about something. It's like, all right, I'm excited about it too. I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be involved in this. I gotta I gotta have a piece of this. It's awesome. It's making you happy. I wanna be happy too. <laughs> yes. So you made a bard for your one shot, yes. right? Yes. Uh, do you remember anything about your bard? So she didn't sing or tell stories. She danced. That was her. Ooh, I was immediately like homebrewing. I was like, none of these fit <laughs> what I want to do. I want my, what I want my, not my weapon. I want my instrument to be symbols and I want them to be like little finger symbols. And Ooh, cool. yeah, I was immediately like already off book. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the character's name? I do not. I don't remember her name. It was probably something really sad and boring <laughs> <laughs> my my first character's name was like mourn something yeah. and was an edgy rogue yes. and so like she was she had a super edgy backstory like had been betrayed so many times <laughs> watch someone <laughs> die you know the whole the whole thing pretty much the mad lib fill out standard yes. of many first D <laughs> characters or early D characters so when you actually sat down to play and kind of as you've been playing what does tabletop role-playing game play or running, what does it do for you? Is there any particular itch that you're like, ah, this fulfills me in this way, or I'm interested because it may, lets me grow in this way or express myself in, in that sort of way? Gosh, okay. So that is a really, really big question because mm -hmm. I've been playing so many role-playing games lately. And I've also played Call of Cthulhu for like over a year. I'm not playing it anymore, but I was. Um, so I have a quite quite a I wouldn't say quite a bit experience compared to some folks, but I have a, a range. Of, yeah, definitely uh, more than I I do certainly. I think one big part of playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons in other games is just being able to tell silly stories with my friends. You know, I grew up like really poor. Uh, I didn't get to travel much. Mm -hmm. Even still, like I don't get to travel much. So having an outlet to yeah. be creative um, that is kind of a low entry fee. I mean, I, there's arguments that Dungeons and Dragons is expensive, but I think the OGL is free, like, and it has tons of stuff to help get you started. And I think a lot of people borrow and use the same book. And then with the advent of D&D Beyond, it's even easier to access now uh, if you know somebody who yeah has an account and has stuff. It's like I'm sharing one of my accounts and D&D Beyond is totally okay with it um, with some people I don't know. So there's like that community aspect that I, I think Dungeons and Dragons has a little bit more of than some other games that I really like. I'm yep, probably it's... so off topic from your question. I get asked no. about like Dungeons and Dragons and I just start rambling. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, no. But but it's all talking about, again, your certainly your experiences and the breadth of them and why D&D is, is obviously popular. So yeah. no, it's all it's all tracking. I'm with you. <laughs> And so, as I said earlier, I got my degree in English, and then I mm -hmm. even got a graduate degree in writing. So I've always mm. been drawn to stories, telling stories, reading stories, writing stories. So I sort of naturally fell into the GM slash DM uh, way of doing things, at least with with my players. I have some amazing players, and we put we tend to put narrative before other things. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a big combat person. I don't hate combat, but I'm not the biggest combat person. But I think that. It's just a really tabletop role playing games are just so cool at helping people tell new stories in new ways, in new landscapes, in new mm -hmm. shapes, in new identities. And I just can't get over how lucky I am to experience that and be a part of it. On the flip side of, of that, A, you are, you know, you're a prolific 
player. I know you're in several campaigns and have, like you said, played several. You've read other, you know, many others. You are always posting on Twitter about some new rule set that you've purchased or zine or whatever. I know I can't um, stop. Someone please <laughs> take my wallet away. <laughs> uh, but obviously, another one of the reasons that you're on here is because of your truly incredible work on what Crooked Roots, your folk horror supplement, and something that really struck me immediately when I was reading it was how how much care and clear passion and intent and thought went into it. It strikes me as a piece of work that could only be done by also something that you were excited about and something that struck chords with you and something you enjoyed. And especially knowing you are an English major or were in English. You have achieved the degree of yeah. English major, whatever we, we settled on, got an advanced degree on writing. Is the kind of itch that is scratched by playing tabletop role-playing games of, of storytelling, that kind of stuff, does it differ in any sort of way than what you get out of writing? Or is it just kind of all in the same cloud of this makes me happy and fulfills me? I think that is a really good question. And I think my answer might be in two parts. We'll see if I can remember mm -hmm. both of them by the time I get through it. Relatable. Um, <laughs> so the first part is it's in the same cloud. Mm -hmm. I get to be creative. I get to have a wealth of ideas and throw them out and make something. And I think that's something that's always been really important to me is being able to make stuff. Uh, like I said, I didn't just write what Crooked Roots. I did most of the illustrations. So yep. I'm just... I'm someone who loves to be hand on and I'm handling all the marketing and all of that stuff. Like I just love to be, be creative. Um, that is always been my goal in life and that I don't know if Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop RPGs will always be a part of that, but being creative will be. Now mm -hmm. the second part is it's different because writing is a very solitary experience. Yeah. And when you write stuff, people don't always read it or don't always provide feedback, but running a game I mean, you're constantly writing in a sense if you're running a game like I am, which is more narrative focused, uh, but you get that feedback and you get that immediate audience buy-in yeah. either weekly or every other weekly or monthly, depending on how you're doing it. Of course, your uh, your audience is very limited, which can be sad <laughs> when you feel like you've written the best thing you've ever done in your life and only four people get to enjoy it. Yeah. But it also <laughs> is really rewarding in that sense. Um where literally my Curse of Strahd group and I, we can't talk about anything other than Curse of Strahd yeah. even when we're not playing. Like that's somehow our conversation topics always come back to that. And that's extremely rewarding that my characters or my players are like, we play again on Tuesday and today they were in the Discord going, I can't wait until Tuesday. So that's much different and much more rewarding than, than the accolades of writing a book and having it sit on a shelf somewhere and one person maybe reads it every once in a while. I feel like that would be my experience at least. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. As kind of part of that conversation, you started, you know, several years ago, just being a player and eventually running and, and falling in love with the hobby. But you also have, you know, kind of what, what, what brought you into kind of the public communal, communal space of tabletop role-playing games is your writing work and your content work. And Jumping from I am just an individual who likes tabletop role playing games and is writing my own stuff and maybe even writing my own subclasses, homebrewing, whatever, jumping to I am I'm putting together an official thing that I'm going to be releasing that people will be 
checking out and buying and I'm going to do the layouts and I'm going to do the illustrations and I'm going to have all these encounters and sub fiction and like a narrative running throughout and all this other stuff. That is a very long, to, to me, it strikes me as a very long journey and a very big difference. So for you especially, where I think this is your first kind of like foray into the design space and public space. What was that process like for you? Where did that kind of seed get planted and how did it get growing? I know the exact moment it'll happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I started a Twitter account uh, as a joke because I saw a lot of (laughs) straw accounts on Twitter that were just making jokes about Strahd. And I was like, you know, I have a lot of jokes about Strahd and I have a personal (laughs) Twitter account that no one will get them. And I want to make the jokes. Even if no one sees them, I want them to be out there in the world. Yes. So I made the account and then I proceeded to never make any Strahd jokes. Uh, but I did <laughs> I did connect with a lot of uh, other Curse of Strahd folks and fans and just some random people who were running Curse of Strahd here and there. I followed Dragna Carta early, early on because they've been or he's been a um, just amazing inspiration yes. when it comes to running Curse of Strahd. And as a DM in general, he's got some generally just great advice uh, for any GMs, no matter I think what version of Dungeons and Dragons you're running. So just I just wanted to keep up to date with what he was doing. Uh, and then I was watching Twice Bitten, so that pulled Kaya into the mix. Kaya was uh, using Twitter pretty frequently, um, and she was a great player. She's an amazing player. So I was just wanting to sort of follow her and see what was going on with her. Then what happened was I sent out a survey to my players, and I asked them at our six-month mark how... How is the game going? Do you, is there something missing from this Curse of Strahd game in terms of horror? And um, Von Richten's Guide to Ravenloft had just come out and they had right. broken out all the genres of horror. And so I had listed those out and I was like, which of these do you want to see more? It was anonymous, but unanimously, they all wanted to see folk horror. Interesting. So I had no experience with folk horror. So I hopped into the Discord, the Curse of Strahd Discord, and I may have even hopped into the Von Richten Discord. I was in a couple of different places and I was Googling folk horror encounters for Dungeons and Dragons, not finding anything. No. And I was like, okay, I'll just make a table. I'll make a, like a little random encounter table. Yep. It'll be like a little one sheet. It'll be no big deal. No thing. Easy. So then there was a work in progress Wednesday on Twitter. I had no idea that was a marketing thing where people were posting the stuff they were planning on selling at some point. So Dragna Carta was holding one. He's like, hey, tell me what you're working on. I was like, oh, I'm going to make a random encounter table of folk horror stuff. And then he quote tweeted me and he was like, I'm so freaking excited for this. This is going to be awesome. And I was like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> what well, you meant, I am doing this fun thing. And what the internet heard was, I am creating this folk horror product. Yes, yes. And I am a burnt out gifted kid. So therefore, I (laughs) must exceed expectations. (laughs) So uh, I went all in, which I'm not mad about. It was super fun. It was fun to see people excited about something because I never Mm -hmm. believed that I would be someone who was publishing stuff for Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop RPGs in general. I always thought I would just be a really big fan of them. So it was really fun to, and I doubt Dragna Cardi even knows that he was like this huge trigger for, <laughs> for this. Um, but yeah, so he retweeted me with that. I got a lot of likes. I got like 30 new followers that day and the rest is history. And here we are. Yeah, yada, yada, yada. What Crooked Roots available now? <laughs> yeah. 
And for four people, since we have shouted them out, Dragnicarta is the very excellent dungeon master for the twice bitten yes. uh, Curse of Strahd game, which is on YouTube, I believe, mm-hmm. right now. I think they are. They also have as of this, if you're more of a podcast oh, yes. person. And they are winding down that campaign. Uh, they have a wonderful story. I'm really actually hoping to talk to them, hopefully, maybe at some point. But uh, do, do definitely check them out. Mm-hmm. Look them up. We do not have the time to talk about how awesome they all are or what their whole <laughs> deal is. But it's really a wonderful little, little project. Yeah, and they're an all individually production. wonderful. I want to take a step back. And something that you had mentioned was that you really weren't super familiar with folk horror, or at least not to the point where you could just be like, ah, okay, cool players, folk horror, that's what you want. Let me just pull on stuff. It sounded like you had to do a little bit of research and a little bit of, of looking into it. And one of the many, many incredible parts about what Crooked Roots is not only do you have really excellent content warnings by adventure, you have short fiction inside of it that runs throughout the book. And on top of that, really incredible thought out encounters, flavorful, beautiful things to just drop in the middle of your campaign to make your world a little bit weirder. (laughs) But you also have essentially an essay about what folk horror is. Can you just talk a little bit about what went into that process of growing into someone who can talk about folk horror and knows about it and created this lovely genre fiction through it? Yeah. So uh, my first ever encounter that I wrote for What Crooked Roots is sort of what's on the cover. It's the hands holding Mm. this piece of questionable fruit, which if you look closely, it might be bleeding, maybe. (laughs) I don't want to say it's blood for sure, because then it might not be able to be posted on like DriveThruRPG and such for gore questionable. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so that was the first one I wrote. And I was like, all right, this is definitely folk horror. Uh, Maybe a little mix of body horror, but it's definitely folk horror. So then I took a step back and I said, all right, well, how am I how am I defining folk horror? Like, sure, yeah. this is folk horror. It feels folk horror, but why? Yeah. Uh, so that's Interesting. when I, I started uh, making my own bullet point. I was like, okay, well, this is what I think it has to have something to do with nature. I think it has to have something to do with something weird with people. There ha- like mm-hmm. folk, the folk quotation marks <laughs> have to be involved. <laughs> yep. And it has to be scary. Okay. But there has to be more to it than that. Uh, so then I did the, you know, the, the super um, surprising Google search of what is folk horror. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that led me down the road of really exploring and furthering my own understanding of what that was and sort of building out a checklist of things I wanted to refer to as I was writing my own encounters. And I think something else that is very true about folk horror and many genres is that the definition is different for sure. many different people. So I mostly wanted the essay to be there so that folks understood how I was defining it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because if like, if I say folk horror, some people automatically mm-hmm. think, oh, that means fairy tale gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And I've actually had some people tell me that your story or your book didn't have a lot of fairy tales in it. And I was like, well, it's because my version, <laughs> what I was looking at in folk horror is a little bit different from that definition. But it's not to say it's wrong. I th- no. I think it's a it's a genre that is a weird floaty genre that just mixes in with a lot of different stuff, which I think is kind of true for a lot of horror and subgenres. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a su- subgenre. And yeah. like horror, you can say a thing is a horror thing, meaning it is a scary thing. And yeah. like, cool, that's a horror thing. But once you start getting into boxes, people have different boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely. So Googling it, I came across Adam Scoble, who is sort of like a folk horror scholar. He doesn't have mm-hmm. like, as far as I could tell, he doesn't have a PhD in folk horror or anything. I don't think a PhD in such a thing exists, but he's written <laughs> one of the only texts available. Unfortunately, I could not get my hands on that book 
because of the pandemic, uh, the libraries weren't, um, I would have had to do like an interlibrary loan nonsense and wasn't working due to the pandemic. So I was not able to read the book. However, I was able to watch several documentaries. I have, I purchased several books with short stories in them that were defined as folk horror. And um, I also watched several movies that are quote unquote mm-hmm. folk horror, which sort of just helped me really get in the vibe, really get in the zone. My, yeah. I just, I know I've shouted him out so much, but I just have to shout out my husband again for being so patient with me as he would come <laughs> home from work. And I'd be like, I found this new movie and we need to start it in literally 15 minutes because it's long. <laughs> we watched like a four hour documentary one night and he was just like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> Wonderful. A true, a true champion. He's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that answered your question. Yes, absolutely. So then the question then becomes, and again, for anyone who's who's wants to read through, again, it's a really wonderful essay. I learned a lot about it, even through reading that. But for you, what is your, at least the Cassie Mothwin definition of folk horror, especially as you were trying to capture it and what, what Crooked Roots? It's so complicated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why you wrote an essay about yes, it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. So the definition that I've sort of been rehearsing and giving to mm-hmm. a few people is that folk horror sort of came out of when the folks in Britain moved out of the woods, they left the rural area and they became more civilized, so to speak, uh, in communities, they forgot what happens in the woods. They forgot the rituals they used to attend to, the things they did to keep the bumps away at night, right? Mm -hmm. That's not to say that these things were extremely important to them, but there's always that sense of anxiety of, Like, I don't know how to survive in the woods. If I were to get Mm -hmm. dropped in the woods, I don't know what lurks there aside from the animals. But if you're superstitious, that can become a real fear. And so folk horror was sort of born out of what is lurking there. And I sort of try to stick to that question, constantly trying to answer that question. What is lurking in the shadows and how can we make it worse? (laughs) (laughs) How can we take your imagination of what could be there and somehow outdo your dark yes. imagination. Yeah. <laughs> so something that I know you have talked a lot about is just the kind of the stunned success that you have met. You've gotten so much good reception because it's an incredible work. I will keep saying that over and over. Everyone should read it. How have you kind of processed the explosion of interest and support and people buying and trying and saying, Hey, I used your product over these last few months. Not well. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Relatable. I get that. Um, So at first I, no offense to you, Nathan, I thought it was just people being nice and you were being really nice. And a lot of people were being really nice. And Mm -hmm. I was like, everybody's just being really nice. I worked really hard on it. And I'm glad there, there, some people donated a lot of money. And I was really surprised because it was pay what you want initially for, I guess, the first two months. It was pay what you want. So I was really surprised. And then I was getting the not angry, but uh, the kind messages that were like firm, we'll say firm. Yes. Kind and firm. You need to put a price on this (laughs) very (laughs) badly. I got quite a few of those from some very uh, important people to me within the community. You might have been one of them. You probably were one of them. If I if I did not say it, I know that I did dogpile <laughs> on someone else saying it for certain. Yes. Uh, so it was uh, I think it took it took a lot of convincing for me to feel worthy, I think, of totally. all of that praise. And I probably still I not probably I still don't necessarily <laughs> feel worthy, <laughs> which is why I try so hard to promote everyone else as well on Twitter 
and even on Twitch. If you hop into my Twitch stream and I know even a little bit about you, suddenly I just want to you know tell everyone about everything <laughs> you've ever done in your life. You have paused many a playthrough <laughs> of games that I have watched to be like, this person just joined the chat. Let me all make sure that you all know what I know about this person. Yes. And I will, for one moment in this game, we will hijack it so that you can hear what I have to say about this person. Yes. And it's, I, I think it's something I'm, I'm still adjusting to, especially as I grow on Twitter. It's been a really strange, mm. exciting, and scary <laughs> experience to embark on. Uh, it's, I think it's mostly been positive. I haven't had any, I haven't heard anything poor about what Crooked Roots, and I don't want to. If you have no, anything no. poor to say, don't tell me. Yep. I'm fine. Yep. I'm good. I don't. Same with Reckless Attack is like, hey, it's not going to be for everyone or our style's not yeah. going to work or the format or whatever. And hey, totally good. It's art. Art is subjective. Move on. Yep. Find what works for you. <laughs> don't, we don't need to hear about it. It's yeah. fine. Just just go find your, find your cool thing. And even if it's not us, but don't tell us. Yes. So I guess the way I've been processing it or trying to understand it is just by paying it forward. And I think that's advice I can give to every creator is mm -hmm. something I see I get asked a lot, especially lately, is how did you get so much success so fast? And, I st and I'm not saying I'm very <laughs> successful. I definitely think I have room for growth and I don't think I'm perfect. But one thing that I feel like I need to harp on is you have to support the community. If I go mm -hmm. to your page and it's just you tweeting over and over and over and you don't talk about anybody else ever, like that's part of it. You have to support others and you have to be genuinely excited like I am genuinely excited about everything I talk about. Yes. Right. <laughs> to, to an annoying amount, probably. <laughs> <laughs> never. As a frequent target of said enthusiasm. <laughs> never. No, always welcome. Always, always beautiful. But yeah, I, I think that is something that you do very well in the space. And you do it with enthusiasm and follow through, too. I see you in every stream. Like I say, hi chat. And then somehow Cassie's already been there for 10 minutes. <laughs> and uh, you know, you are always trying out new systems. You're reading things. You are playing through things and are doing more than just kind of uplifting, which you are doing and community I building think, and networking. But I think part of that comes from a literature background. It was always harped on by someone I really respect. Uh, my thesis advisor or director actually um, was like, if you want to be a writer, you have to be a good community member first. And that means hmm. helping other people promote their products, um, helping others understand where they could grow or where they could be better uh, in a kind light and only sure. when they ask. Right. Um, so I think I internalize that a little bit. And I know it's it's very apparent in my Twitter appearance, but I try to live out that uh, philosophy everywhere. Uh, it's not super healthy, probably, <laughs> but it's what I'm trying. I think it translates pretty well to the tabletop RPG community. If you want people to be excited about your stuff, you can't just be excited about your stuff. You also have to be excited about what's going on around you. Yeah. Again, and like the, the grosser, you know, for some people, the grosser, viewpoint of that is it's networking yeah. and it's you know and it's about finding it's, you can't expect i don't want to say like i expect people to give back because i'm giving out i don't want that right. to be the message I'm, i absolutely. don't expect anything uh i just am saying it worked yes yes yep. <laughs> and i'm super grateful at the same time knowing, you know, knowing that it has resonated with people clearly and that there is an audience for it and that people have connected not just with the idea early on to now it's out. It's been out for several months and a lot of people I still see are picking it up and trying it out. Do you have a sense yet 
of why you're, why it has resonated with people and why people continue to resonate with it, what kind of feedback you're getting or even feedback you're not getting that you still have an idea of like, I think this is maybe part of what, what worked. Okay. So I think I put into it the issues that I see in other supplements that I've purchased because I buy a lot of, mm-hmm. I buy a lot of stuff. I'm just going to say it. I buy too much <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so I have like a list of ongoing issues. Um, I have ADHD, so I always struggle with learning and focusing and studying things that I buy. So I approached it from what are my roadblocks when I'm reading something? And mm-hmm. I tried to address those when I was creating. And I honestly think that was part of my success yeah. is that I tried to bullet point wherever I could. I tried to simplify wherever I could in editing. I tried to make sentences as clear as possible without getting bogged down in descriptions. Yeah, I gave people at the very beginning permission to change whatever they needed to change mm-hmm. to make it fit their world. And I don't mm-hmm. think that everybody needs that, but I'm someone who likes to have permission And then I think also bringing people along for the ride was something that helped. And I didn't realize I was doing that as I was posting art and snippets and what I was working on on Twitter. But I think people got buy-in. That was part of what got people excited was I was like, oh, here's this little doodle I'm working on for my folk horror thing. And they're like, oh, tell me more about that. So I think that was part of what made people so excited for it. And it continues to be exciting even after that because... It doesn't focus on combat. It very, very little mm-hmm. of it touches on combat. And I think that's kind of perhaps a little new for Dungeons and Dragons supplements. I think some people get a little too excited about combat when they're <laughs> writing a supplement. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's true across the board in the entirely. And I'm sure there's stuff out there that I haven't found just because it's a very flooded market. Yeah, there's um, a lot of stuff. But I build it as something that is heavily involved in role play. So if you want to have a horror encounter that is rooted in role play, this Mm -hmm. is what you should check out. And I don't necessarily think there's anything like that out there, even in other genres of horror. Yeah, I I think you were very, I think you did a great job of being very clear of here's what it is, is it's it's drag and drop content that you're of course free to change or whatever, but here's the ideas behind it. And here's some kind of some fuel for your creative fire. It's going to make your world feel weirder and darker and stranger if that's what you want. And it's also not necessarily just going to be here or combat encounters. Yeah. Um, and I think you did a really great job of hammering that over and over and being very transparent and genuine about here's what my product is going to be. And so the people who wanted it could be like, ah, Ah, uh, yes. And then they opened it and it was it delivered all that and more. I'm really glad to hear it delivered because I do think that's an issue some folks have is over promising yes. or not even promising, just being wrong, perhaps in their description. So I think that's a very yes. important point is to be detailed and right about what you're selling. Yes. Again, and, and be authentic, be yeah. genuine. People will know the second that they look at your thing or they hear about mm-hmm. your thing, that if their expectations are not met, then bad stuff can happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's really, I mean, and you don't have to be as big as my thing was or have a bunch of art. No. It's just about, you know, upholding your promise. And at the end of the yes. day, people are going to remember if you didn't. Not to say your things can't change right. or that whatever, they can't evolve or be different or have to be scaled back or scaled up, but letting people know what to expect. 
and then delivering on it. Expectation management. Here yeah. it comes again. Always <laughs> yeah. useful. And suddenly we're a marketing podcast. Welcome, everyone. Yes. Exa- well, <laughs> I'm you so know, sorry. Well, for everyone at home, uh, my background is actually in marketing. That's what I do in my day job. So somehow I always end up back here. We have crammed a PR and marketing team onto <laughs> onto one video call. And wouldn't you know it, we start talking about it. Oops, oops, oops. Something that I was curious about. Well, first of all, are you generally um, knowing that that Focor was kind of its own specific thing that you had to investigate and and kind of invest yourself in? Do you like horror as a genre? Like, is that yes. a, a genre you get a lot out yes. of? <laughs> what? Do, well, first of all, I'm just curious, what kind of horror oh, horror do you like when it can good. be again specific? Uh, so I'm not okay. Slasher, maybe not so much. Uh. And body horror, maybe not so much. But then mm-hmm. again, the early Saw movie, the early Saw movies are good, good stuff. They do it for you. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you enjoy about, uh, and, and not just consuming horror and the genre, but also what does it do for you to be a part of it and creating in it? Okay. So I like to be scared a lot, mm-hmm. but from a safe place. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. I think it's just a fun emotion to feel when you know (laughs) that in the end, it's not real. And I know that's not true for everyone. But for me, like if I can get I then it's the same reason I like roller coasters. I like to fall (laughs) knowing that (laughs) I'm going to land safely. Um, Yeah, you have a harness on you. And yeah. yeah. Uh, So I think that's the draw for me is it's um, it's sort of like an adrenaline rush in Mm -hmm. in a, a very safe cathartic adrenaline rush <laughs> that sounds to, at least to me like the kind of the consumption side of thing like what right. it does for you because it's one thing to enjoy consuming it but then to kind of be on the to see the strings and see you know and place the monster and the jump scare here and put the you know the ambiance here what does that what does that process do for you it makes me feel powerful yeah <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> No, I, I think that's what it is. Even before um, uh-huh. Curse of Strat and What Crooked Roots, I was writing short horror stories um, for my friends, recording scary things. Like, I've just always been interested in feeling that power. And I think scaring people with their consent. Um, right. Always be, important, is- which again... Well, Crooked Roots, uh, again, for anyone who's <laughs> listening who hasn't tried it, has very extensive content warnings uh, and some small tweaks advised, all kinds of great stuff. A lot of resource and is very <laughs> transparent about that being more important than literally yeah. anything else. Absolutely. But yeah, I've just always enjoyed uh, my poor, poor younger brother has always <laughs> been putting up with my tales of horror and um, perhaps without his consent, I've gotten better. <laughs> Good. Yep. Well, little brothers, it's, it's a complex dynamic yeah. early on. Yep. Um, but I've just always enjoyed uh, scaring him and grew up with that. And it just has never left me. And I don't know if power is necessarily the right word, but it is, it's just, it's fun. That's, I know that's not a wonderful answer, but no, I mean it, it to me that that tracks from my experience and from kind of what you've already said. And it sounds like a little bit of, again, you, I think you use the word maybe even kind of control and not necessarily control mm-hmm. over others, but a controlled experience where you kind of are the one to put things in motion and 
set the scene for others and go about it that way. Um, and it's also interesting that you seeing the behind the scenes things, right. And kind of like getting the, Oh yeah. And here's the genre tropes and here's the threads that are being pulled and that kind of thing that doesn't seem to change your enjoyment of creating it from what it sounds like. No, I scare myself. (laughs) I wish I was kidding. Especially if I'm like at home and I'm writing horror and I'm by myself, no one else is here. Then I'm afraid it is a very visceral, immersive experience. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. That, but that totally, like, I, I get that 100%. Like, I have been imagining D&D monsters and of, like, horrible things and, and abilities and, and presences and visages. And then I'll be like, hmm, it's really dark outside that window right now, huh? Yep. Oh, I was so- going to go take a shower. Maybe I'll wait a little bit. I don't know what's <laughs> going to join me. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I think that's perfectly reasonable and maybe even healthy. <laughs> As a kind of extension to that, uh, and, and kind of outside of the horror genre, what sort of stories do you enjoy consuming? What resonates with you, and does it impact your work at all? Uh, so first off, angst is... I'm always drawn to a good angsty story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that ties into horror a little bit. Um, yes. <laughs> So when I think about like what draws me to a story, uh, for some reason, my brain automatically latches onto Avatar The Last Airbender Hmm. Mm -hmm. and Zuko's story. Um, I just think it was just such a really well done character arc that a lot of us have in our consciousness because we grew up with it and then it became more easily accessible with Netflix. So it's around again. But overall, like it was it's just a great show that off that there are horror aspects. There are some episodes that are scary. There are some that are romantic. There are some that showcase the horrors of war. And I think all of those things sort of draw me to a story. Now, what keeps me is usually incredible characters. And -hmm. I think going back to Dungeons and Dragons, I think that's part of what I love about Dungeons and Dragons is that it's primarily a character first experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. So as you are thinking about tabletop role-playing games and thinking about how you experience them or enjoy experiencing them. Do you identify more as a DM uh, than a player? And are you happy about that? (laughs) (laughs) Do you enjoy DMing more or is that just like, well, I DM because you know, I like it, but mostly because everyone always needs a DM and here I am. Uh, yeah. So I joke with my brother all the time that he only got me to, into D&D so he would have a forever DM. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Get that. Um, because he's in the two campaigns that I run. But I do. I really enjoy DMing. I think that falls into my uh, my writing degree quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Just trying to tell the stories. And I do enjoy being a player, but I find it more difficult to be a player because I don't know everything that's going on. And because I, I have trouble... Um, Staying in character mm-hmm. as a DM, I bounce between <laughs> God knows how many characters. Infinity, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> in a session. And that's really cathartic and fun. And I've always been someone who does that, uh, bounces between different personas. I'm, I'm a very fluid person in that respect. So I think that's one of the reasons I love DMing and GMing. And I think that's another reason I'm into solo RPG so much lately, because yeah, I get sure. to be the player while also having a game that trusts me to create all these other characters and embrace them and see what they would do from my perspective. I know I could write a novel, but it's, it's still a fun experience. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I think that there's 
certainly value in shorter managed yes. versions of that yes. than just being like, oh, God, the pressure and expansion of a whole ass novel is yeah. a lot. So that, that <laughs> tracks with at least the audience of Nathan, for sure. Yeah. So. And this can be in the TTRPG space, but it doesn't need to be. It can be creative space or it can be just the personal space. Do you have any heroes or mentors that you, you've already, of course, mentioned one, your professor talking about the importance of community, but do you have any people that you look to as like kind of touch points for you that have fueled you, that have taught you something that you try to aspire to be more like or whatever that means to you? Uh, Okay, so I've talked about Whitney Strix. I can't remember her Mm. last name, but she is the author of, uh, she's one of the creators behind Bluebeard's Bride, which is an amazing horror tabletop RPG that uses the Powered by the Mm -hmm. Apocalypse system. Tons of content warnings with that. Uh, Just like, just her whole vibe, the way she goes about trying to be inclusive and use content warnings. I've just learned a lot uh, trying to, within the last couple of years, just sort of like paying attention to her. Not necessarily a dream collaboration, but and not necessarily someone I want to be from like a being of a person. Yeah. But definitely uh, just someone to look up to if you're a woman in the space, I think. Mm-hmm. I think she's dealt with a lot of stuff. So it's interesting just following her on Twitter and hearing her stories about her experience. Outside of tabletop RPG universe is Angela Duckworth. And I don't know how familiar you are with her. The name she, is very familiar. She wrote a book called Grit. Um, I think it's called grit and it's about persevering and reaching your goals. It's, a, <laughs> um, I think she's just an incredible individual. Uh, I've listened to her on the Freakonomics podcast and a couple of other podcasts. And, uh, I think her approach to life and her work has helped me figure out how I want to progress. Fascinating. And not, I don't, it, again, it's not someone I necessarily want to be, but right. just they help me figure sort of find direction. Yeah. The book is grit, the power of passion and perseverance. Yeah. I was close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was Angela Duckworth. So we're all in line. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Is that something that, that certainly resonates with me? Is that something that you find yourself, you know, kind of working on and working towards and having to remind yourself, is that something that's been ingrained into you now? Um, or kind of, uh, if, if you don't mind, where are you at in your journey in incorporating your own level of grit into your life? Well, I, one of the things it's been so long since I've read the book, but I believe one of the things that uh, she touches on is that success doesn't just come from luck. It comes about, it comes from being gritty and like pushing through the difficult stuff, which I know seems obvious. Um, but she approaches it from a, like, I think she's a psychologist. So from that background, so it's, it was more affirming, I think Mm -hmm. hearing that, that you have to be, you have to be gritty. You have to persevere through the difficult times and, and it's the people who do that you see success from. So just hearing that and constantly reminding myself, like, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to read the book again, just because there's so much out there to read and sure. um, take. But I want to keep the book to remind myself that, you know, and I'm, I'm working on a couple of projects right now. I've teased a lot of them on Twitter, but they're not just going to come into existence. I've got I have to sit down and put the work mm-hmm. in and do it. And I know for some people that comes really easily. And I'm so happy for you. It is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 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 Um, same. So I. I am still on the journey. I'm still trying to figure out the right methods and perhaps even the right medication for making all of that happen. Um, mm-hmm. But that's okay. I'm okay with that. So that does bring me to the kind of the next question is what is next for you or kind of what direction are you heading? What is next for you? What are your next projects or what are your kind of just ephemeral goals in in, in the space or just for you personally? 
Yeah, I really wish I had a super cool answer for you there. Um, so as I said, I started my Twitter account as uh, Strahd Bash Nation something <laughs> something. It was even Contest Strahd, which I then made Contest Cassie because I wanted to pay homage to my origins. Nice. <laughs> Got it. I never I, I never knew. It's, it just seemed appropriate for a, you know, spooky individual, spooky tongue in cheek individual <laughs> in the space. So I didn't start with any goals and I didn't start what Crooked Roots expecting it to be anything worthy of anyone's attention. So I'm still sort of figuring out where I'm going to go. With that said, I my goal was always uh, once I started working on Crooked Roots and realized maybe perhaps what I'm capable of and what I could do with it. I was like, all right, I want to make money moves. I want to make some money moves in this community in terms of maybe collabs or working yeah. with individuals. I'm going to use what Crooked Roots is a proof of concept of what I'm capable of. And basically, it's my authority piece, right? Like, this is how yes. you know what I can do and what I'm of. If you don't, if the, this doesn't work for you, then perhaps we shouldn't work together. But this is me. Yeah, it worked a little too well. <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone, so much for reaching out to me for collabs, um, for paid work, for everything. It's been an amazing, amazing, amazing um, turnout. At the same time, I have had to step back and sort of decide, okay, so you wanted to do that on the off chance it would work, but now it's working. So you really need to narrow down yes. your scope. So I I started writing um, 15 gothic horror encounters. Um, mm -hmm. It's been a little difficult because folk horror was natural because it usually occurs in the woods, right? And parties travel in the woods. So that one was pretty easy. But the gothic horror is a little bit more nebulous in that respect. So I was having some trouble with it. I think I'm still going to get it out there at some point. But I wanted to take a step back and do something that wasn't Dungeons and Dragons centered. So then totally. I'm, I'm still in the gothic horror realm. I'm writing a, uh, a vampire romance solo TTRPG. <laughs> so excited about that. You've teased and, and I, know. I know it's still very work in progress, but even the tiniest just morsels that you I have already provided. I think it'll be are good. Tremendous. If you're anyone like me, it'll be good. I'm going to love it. <laughs> And that's what matters. Right. If that one <laughs> sentence pitch works for you is then good news. Yes. <laughs> it, the game should also hopefully work for you. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's what I'm working on right now from a tabletop RPG. Oh, I'm also writing reviews. Uh, yes. So see, Nathan, I have this strong desire to remain relevant. <laughs> yep. Huh. I don't know that at all. I can't relate to it at even in a little bit in the hustle of online presence-ness. So I started writing reviews because I was like, it's going to be impossible for me to produce. I mean, I busted myself trying to release what Crooked Roots in the time frame I did. Yes. Uh, it was... And I was, it's not healthy. I can't... I literally cannot do that again. Um, I went through a little phase afterwards where I had to talk to myself and say, it's okay that you don't have to release like something this insane uh, every three months. That's totally okay. Right. <laughs> um, so I took a step back and I was sort of evaluating, okay, what are some, what's a smaller way I can still contribute to the community while I work on some things in the background? And I was like, well, I like playing TTRPGs. What if I talked about them a little bit louder? And then the amazing David from the Reckless Attack podcast um, <laughs> said, hey, uh, I can help you get a website set up so you can, uh, you know, keep track of that kind of thing. So got my website set up. And so that's where I am very slowly posting reviews, trying to be somewhat in depth, uh, helpful yes. of games I play, not just like the general review you might find on an itch page or a drive through RPG, but like maybe a step beyond that. So that's one thing I'm doing and I, I'm really enjoying that. It is a slow process. 
But yeah, that's one thing that I think is next is sort of expanding on that and seeing where that goes. And I'm also in talks of bring, perhaps bringing in uh, guest writers for that. So that's all <laughs> that's already exciting. Yes. Uh, and then um, streaming. Uh, we sort of talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's not a good a place. It's not a good idea to have your audience on one platform. And I'm not saying like I have an audience. I have a lot of friends. Right. And I've, I've told many people that over and over. It's like, you, but you really, have like dozens of hundreds of friends. <laughs> so there's a, I think they can count a little bit as an audience at this I don't point. Re- I don't really count. Like, I don't know. I don't really like the word follower or um, <sighs> it's fan difficult. or audience. I, I don't know. It's like it's a still figuring all that out. Especially starting like we both did, which was I am just an individual yeah. or a product in the space and tiny and have no one paying attention to us. I still feel that like I still feel that way, but also that's not true. It's right. It's <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, we're we are audience teens in yes. a way where we are. <laughs> we're we're grown, some certainly. Gro- you know, there's some hormone changes. We're <laughs> exactly. And we're just trying to figure ourselves and the world out. And yeah. it's just a little hard and changing and difficult. And it can be different day to day. Um, so the streaming is, uh, I know that sometimes with Twitter, tone can get lost and uh, you can start to forget the person behind the screen. So I thought, well, you know, I bought this microphone specifically because I was starting to get asked to more podcasts mm-hmm. and streams and such. And I, I bought a good microphone and I already had a good camera and I have a decent gaming PC. So I thought, well, you know, um, I think I have checked most of the boxes you need for streaming. Hopefully I have the personality and I'm just going to do it and see what happens. <laughs> That way, maybe folks can get to know me a little bit better and I can get to know folks a little bit better from, uh, you know, a different platform. So that was that was my whole goal there. I don't really have any. I reached my first goal, my only goal, which was yeah. reach affiliate someday. Like yeah, immediately. you got it immediately, which was incredible and <laughs> so amazing. exciting. Everyone's so amazing. Um, <sighs> Didn't even talk about video games, but we, we won't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so. So, yeah, that's just, just a little area. I'm just sort of cultivating. Uh, cultivating doesn't feel like the right word because I'm not really trying to grow it or anything. Uh, if you come and you hang out, that's great. If you don't, that's OK, too. It's just a fun little area I'm going to be. It's more that you have planted a wild seed, you know, some wild <laughs> seeds, like a natural garden. Some crooked and roots, like, if you will. Yeah, some crooked roots, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, and are nominally making sure that it grows well yeah. and are attending to it. But you're not, you know, it's meticulously. Yeah, exactly. I think, Cassie, that brings us to the now, I assume, infamous lightning round of questions. I'm nervous. Uh, I only looked at them a few days ago and I don't have any answers prepared. So that's all right. Again, <laughs> I I will give you the same spiel as everyone and to remind any listeners or to anyone who this is their first episode. Lightning round, we ask essentially the same questions to every guest that we have. I'm sure they'll be lightly tweaked uh, over the course of us doing this, but essentially the same questions to everyone. Uh, They are open-ended. They are up for kind of your own, you know, interpretation or your own whatever. And for the most part, I will not ask any elaboration questions. I will just let you say whatever it is that you think is correct. Every once in a while, of course, I'll be like, excuse me, what? And I will ask follow up. But for the most part, it is just you as a way to get to, to for, for me and for the listeners and maybe even for yourself to learn some interesting answers. So I'm going to take a drink before we do that. <laughs> yeah, smart. Oh. <sighs> So Cassie, yes, is your glass half full or half empty? It's floating. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's. I think it's half full for sure. Probably overflowing. 
<laughs> like a two thirds yeah. full kind of thing. <laughs> Got it. What excites you creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Other people being excited. Mm -hmm. Usually, uh, I don't, I don't, sorry. I know this is lightning round, but like if. No, 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 no. Light, there's only <laughs> lightning round in that it's the same questions and I try my best to just shut up and stay out of the way. <laughs> if I see other folks excited about something, um, as long as it's like celebrating something, I am happy to be excited and figure out why I should be excited about it. Mm -hmm. What does not excite you creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Rules. I, I know <laughs> I know that's a big thing for the tabletop RPG community. Uh, rules are what excite a lot of people, but I don't love trying to figure them out or manage them. I haven't mm -hmm. figured out a good way of, um, especially with the PDFs I use, there's a it, when they have when they're front loaded with rules and then I'm in the middle of the PDF and I have to refer back, I just that doesn't excite me. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite sound? My cat meowing. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my guess. <laughs> what sound do you hate? My cat meowing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when it's in the right time. Uh, mm -hmm. I hate it when it's at uh, three o'clock in the morning. Yep. I think that I, I, I it's probably one of those things that every cat owner immediately <laughs> was like, ah, oh, yeah, I know exactly what Cassie <laughs> yes. is talking about. What is your favorite word? Delightful. What is your least favorite word? Stupid. Ooh. What tabletop role-playing game or D&D &D monster have you not faced or run that you would love to? A unicorn. Mm hmm What is your favorite adventure of all time? And it can be something you played, something you ran, something you read, something you consumed. Curse of Strahd with an asterisk. Mm. And maybe I'll be like Val and I won't tell you what the asterisk is. <laughs> Okay. Hey, <laughs> this is your lightning round. No, I want to tell you. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think Curse of Strahd is great if you have the right players and yes. you make it your own. I think it is a great campaign with uh, when you season it. Mm -hmm. Yep. That tracks. What is your favorite tabletop role-playing game character of all time? Boblin the Goblin. This is a question that I will ask a follow-up. <laughs> Who's Moblin the Goblin, Cassie? Uh, it's Boblin the Goblin. Boblin, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, it's like a, a meme that has taken off. I think it started on Reddit <laughs> in a Reddit comment, and I know it. he appears in so many different games now. It's just a filler, fun character that every GM makes their own. I encourage you to add Boblin the Goblin to your own game. Everyone, hop on your Google machine <laughs> and uh, check out Boblin the Goblin. Finally, Cassie. Thank you for joining. But the last question, what gives you hope? Uh, I think that's a really hard question for me, but usually it's just the new things I see in mm -hmm. the space. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm adding a caveat. What gives you hope in TTRPG? And it's all the new people that I see joining um, that are just growing. I could name so many people. I don't want to because I don't want to leave anybody out. But I, I just love seeing some of these people that like a month or so ago, only had a hundred or so followers. And now I knew, I knew they were going to be amazing. And now they're approaching a thousand. And I just think mm -hmm. that's, that's awesome. And that's so exciting that our community is growing. I don't know why. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm a part of it. I don't know. I don't know what happened, what brought me to Twitter. Um, 
and yeah, meeting you and all the other wonderful folks. It, that's what gives me hope. Well, the feeling is very mutual, Cassie. Thank you so much for joining. Now, now that you have run the gauntlet of the lightning round, please remind people who you are, where they can find you, how to support you, all that great stuff. Okay. So if you didn't, if you don't know, I am Contest Cassie. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I am Cassie Mothwin. I'm the author of What Crooked Roots. It is a full core Dungeons and Dragons supplement that I've been told works very well in other systems. Uh, it's pretty it's loose, very excellent. Mostly role play. <laughs> I encourage you to check it out on Kofi, uh, Itch, or Drive Through RPG. Follow me on Twitter if you want to hear me yell excitedly in all caps about the many, many things that I buy myself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, if you're working on something, please tell me about it. I love to discover new stuff. Excellent. Cassie, thank you so friggin' much for coming by. Thank you. You lovely soul. It was (laughs) wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone go check out Cassie. Everyone go check out What Crooked Roots. Cassie, until we speak again, thank you. (laughs) 